Well, good morning. Pleasure to be here, and as we're talking about what was going on in the world, I'm reminded that a lot of things don't change. Forty years ago from my first deployment when I was flying A6s, was deployed to the Mediterranean, and we had to change our schedule because the Iran hostage crisis back in 1979 and 1980. So things are still going on there, so we do need to pray for uh, our country and pray for our military uh, as well for those who are engaged. If you would, please turn in your Bible to Genesis 33. We'll be looking at this at it this morning for the long uh, confrontation, long way to confrontation. And I'm going to read, before we get started, I went to the website and found a list of movies. And tell me if you can figure out what the genre for these movies are. At number one was Braveheart. Number two was Gladiator. Three was Unforgiven with Clint Eastwood. Number four was Equalizer. Six was Death Wish. Nine was kind of Monte Carlo. Ten was Enter the Dragon. Thirteen was True Grit. Fourteen was The Punisher. Sixteen was The Patriot. And there's some others with Clint Eastwood, High Plains Drifter, um, Hang 'em High. What is the genre of these movies here? What do you all think? Revenge. Revenge. In fact, one website describes it uh, this way, that lists all these, the best of the revenge movies. And it says, revenge is one of our most primal instincts. The need to inflict suffering and punishment on those who have wronged us goes back to our days in dark old caves. Because movies about turning the other cheek are a lot less interesting than movies about stabbing someone through the cheek. There have been a pile of great revenge films over the years. And again, uh, what I listed was a number of the best. Now, today we'll look at the story of Jacob and Esau. And this would be a great revenge movie or TV show. Now, I wish I had Philip's voice because he has a great radio voice, but you can think of the uh, announcement this way. Esau hated Jacob, his brother, who had deceived him and his father. He wanted to kill Jacob, who had to flee to save his life. Now, they were finally going to meet 20 years later. Esau is coming to meet Jacob with 400 armed men, and Jacob is terrified. What will happen? Will Esau get his revenge? Stay tuned. <laughs> what did happen? Not what one might expect because of the intervention of the Lord. And one principle as we look at this morning is that God's reconciling grace transforms relationships. And reconciliation trumps revenge. So we'll be looking at that this morning for this confrontation. Again, as we look at Genesis 33, 1 through 11, we see this. And we'll also be referring to uh, uh, Genesis 32. But the writer says, And Jacob lifted up his eyes and looked. And behold, Esau was coming and 400 men with him. So he divided the children among Leah and Rachel and the two female servants. And he put the servants with their children in front. Then Leah with her children and Rachel and Joseph last of all. He himself went on before them, bowing himself to the ground seven times until he came near his brother. But Esau ran to meet him and embraced him and fell on his neck and kissed him, and they wept. And when Esau lifted up his eyes and saw the women and children, he said, Who are these with you? And Jacob said, The children whom God has graciously given your servant. Then the servants drew near, they and their children, and bowed down. Leah likewise and her children drew near and bowed down. And at last Joseph and Rachel drew near and they bowed down. And Esau said, 
What do you mean by all this company that I met? Jacob answered, to find favor in the sight of my Lord. To find favor in, in your sight, he said. But Esau said, I have enough, my brother. Keep what you have for yourself. And Jacob said, no, please, if I've found favor in your sight, then accept my present from my hand, for I have seen your face, which is like seeing the face of God, and you have accepted me. Please accept my blessing that it brought to you, because God has dealt graciously with me, and because I have enough. Thus he urged him, and he took it. And let's pray. Lord, as we look at this and we talk about reconciliation in this confrontation, may you instruct us, may you teach us, may you encourage us. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, this morning we'll look at the prayed for reconciliation, and if there's time, we'll look at the friendly parting between Jacob and Esau. And we'll be going back and forth a little bit between uh, chapter 32, because that sets the stage for chapter 33. They are closely related, but there's a significant event that happens between uh, chapter 32 and chapter 33. And we see Jacob's preparation for this confrontation. He had just left Laban. There was conflict there that had to be reconciled. He knows he's going to meet Esau, and he is concerned, so he begins to make preparation. The first thing that we see is that he divides his family. And this comes across in 32.7 as well as 33.1. And again, what we see in 32.7, then Jacob was greatly afraid and distressed. He divided the people who were with him and the flocks and the herds and the camels into two camps. He did this initially out of fear, and as one commentator says, because his guilty conscience imagines the worst scenario possible as he meets up with Esau. We'll talk about that in just a little bit. Now, this is understandable from a human perspective because he is concerned. He was not on good relationships with his brother. But really what it shows is a lack of trust in the Lord, a lack of trust in God. And God had been working in his life, had made a covenant with him, had made promises, but yet we see a lack of trust in Jacob's uh, part. He's hoping to save at least one part of his family. We see that in verse 8. But what we see is a, a beginning of a transition, a transformation in Jacob's life. That begins immediately afterwards uh, in 32, 9 through 12, where he prays to the Lord. And it's significant because he says, and Jacob said, O God of my father Abraham, and God of my father Isaac, O Lord who said to me, return to your country and to your kindred that I may do you good. I am not worthy of the least of all the deeds of steadfast love and all the faithfulness that you have shown to your servant. For with only my staff I crossed this Jordan and now I've become two camps. Please deliver me from the hand of my brother, from the hand of Esau, for I fear him that he may come and attack me, the mothers with their children. But you said I will surely do you good and make your offspring as the sand of the sea which cannot be numbered for multitude. So he comes in prayer. We begin to see a transition there. And he's developing a right relationship with the Lord, which is necessary for him to have that right relationship with Esau, his brother. And the same goes for us to have a right, right relationship with others. We have to have that right relationship with the Lord. And his prayer consists of an invocation in verse 9, confession in verse 10, petition in 11, and then confidence and motivation in verse 12. And this marks, again, a spiritual transformation in Jacob's life as he goes to the Lord in prayer. And that's always a great place to start. 
but the transformation still is not complete as we will see now what does he do he is preparing gifts we see this in again chapter 32 as well as in um, uh, chapter 33 why he wants to find favor in Esau's sight we see this in uh, uh, chapter 32 verse 5 chapter 38 verses 8 10 and 13 the concept is also the same as in uh, chapter 32 20 but with a little bit different that I want to address here uh, again people will go before him in verse 20 and says and you shall say moreover your servant Jacob is behind us for he thought I may appease him with the present that goes ahead of me and afterward I will see his face perhaps he will accept me where it says I will appease him the Hebrew says to cover his face and the word that we see here for cover is related to what we sang and was in the scripture today it talks about ransom and it's an important part when we uh, talk about uh, reconciliation the theological wordbook of the Old Testament and talking about the word ransom is, and that the word here in the Hebrew is caper uh, which is related can be understood it means to atone by offering a substitute and it says the great majority of the usages in the Old Testament I speak of a priestly ritual of sprinkling with sacrificial blood of making an atonement for the worshiper that is part of reconciliation there are 49 times in Leviticus where it has this meaning only three times it does not have this meaning one is here in Genesis 3:20, where it has the idea of um, appeasing by gift and it goes on this dictionary says it becomes clear that this word aptly illustrates the theology of reconciliation again of what is done in the idea of sacrifice and worship and so he's preparing his gifts it's restitution and one commentator says this for verse 20 the covenant family is troubled by broken relationship but God honors their efforts at reconciliation Jacob models reconciliation as he works to appease the enemy that he has created with his brother so Jacob acknowledges his fault in this broken relationship and God is going to honor that God is at work because he indeed has a purpose now as we continue to see Jacob's preparation we see his position with relation to his family as well as all the herds that he wants to offer as a gift and initially he's a brave man where is he he is at the end of the droves we see this in verse 18 and verse 20 he's at the end everybody else is in front as he sent messengers uh, to Esau the flocks the families he is at the back uh, but for the actual plan he is at the front we see this again in 33 3 where it says he himself went on before them bowing down to the ground seven times what we see here that he is now a leader and he's not a coward this comes after he wrestles with God he has prayed previous to this but still that transformation is not complete but he wrestles with the Lord and we see again a, tr a further transformation where he is out front he's not the coward with the women and the children in front and with the flocks as he goes to meet Esau because he knows Esau is coming with an armed band but there is that transformation but we also see his attitude as he prepares initially we saw in 32 7 he is afraid he was greatly afraid and distressed as scriptures say but in 33 he's no longer fearful he has had that encounter with the Lord he's gone to the Lord in prayer 
He has confidence, not in himself, but in the Lord. He's humble but confident, no longer fearful. He bows down seven times to Esau we see in 33.3. And again, that was a sign of submission. Even though the prophecy had said that his younger brother would bow down to him. But he's bound down to his brother, the symbol of submission. And in the Near East at the time, that was the position of a vassal with his Lord. So he's, he submitted himself. He called himself a servant. We see this in 33.5. And he called his brother Lord. Again, a part of his humbling himself as he seeks to reconcile with his brother. And he also acknowledged God's gracious provision in verses 5 and 11. What's important here is as he goes to reconcile with Esau, he recognizes what the Lord has done in his life, how the Lord has blessed him, and he gives the Lord praise as he does this. And again, we see those elements in his prayer in 32, 9 through 12. So, what changed for Jacob? What was the difference as part of this transformation? What can we learn from this? Well, we see that he prayed fervently to the Lord. He reminds God of his promises. He also reminds himself of the promises that God made to him. Can God be, promised, uh, uh, be trusted to fulfill his promises? We know that the answer is yes. But part of what Jacob was doing as he prayed in 32 is he's reminding himself, Lord, this is what you said. This is what you promised. I'm now trusting you that you will keep those promises. He also prayed for deliverance. He was frightened. Esau met him hard, uh, harm when they parted 20 years previously. Now, part of this transition was he met God. We see this in... Uh, verses 32, 22 through uh, 32, he met God at Peniel. And here he's developing that right relationship with the Lord before he develops that right relationship with his brother. And so we develop that right relationship with the Lord in prayer, spending time with him. We see confession was a part of that. That's part of our worship here. He spends time, he prays, he makes petitions, but it was after he confesses his sin, he acknowledges his own unworthiness. And we are all unworthy in the Lord before what Christ has done for us. We see that God changed his name to Israel. Again, we see this in 32.8. He said, uh, this is the Lord speaking. Then he said, your name shall no longer be called Jacob, but Israel. For you have striven with God and with men and have prevailed. In fact, the textual note uh, at the bottom of the Bible says, Israel means he strives with God or God strives. What was his name before? Was Jacob? What does Jacob mean? It was not a flattering name. And it goes back to his birth as to what he has done. And again, the textual note um, in 27 uh, verse 36 says, Jacob means he takes by the heel or he cheats. How would you like to be known for that as a name? But the Lord has changed it here. Uh, because again in uh, 27, this is what Esau says after his blessing had been stolen. He says, Esau said, is he not rightly named Jacob for he has cheated me these two times? He took away my birthright and behold now he has taken away my blessing. And so that was part of the animosity between Jacob and Esau. 
Jacob was a lousy brother. He was self-centered. He did not listen, nor did his mother listen to the promises that God had made. And he operated on his own, and it got him in trouble. And yet there needed to be reconciliation, which is what we see here. What we do see is that God prepared Jacob for his confrontation with Esau. He would not have done it on his own. He was a liar. He was a thief. He was no good. But he was chosen by God for a purpose to establish the nation Israel. And likewise, we too need to take a look at our own lives. We need to trust the Lord who makes us worthy through Jesus Christ. What is Esau's reaction? We see he's no longer vengeful as again we look in chapter 33. Compare how this started in Genesis 27, 41 through 33. Now Esau hated Jacob because of the blessing with which his father had blessed him. And Esau said to himself, the days of mourning for my father are approaching. Then I will kill my brother Jacob. But the words of Esau, her older son, were told to Rebekah. So she sent and called Jacob, her younger son, and said to him, Behold, your brother Esau comforts himself about you, planning to kill you. Now therefore, my son, obey my voice. Arise, flee to Laban, my brother, in Haran. Instead of resolving the conflict, he decides to flee, with good reason. He was a thief. He was a no good. He was a cheater. Now Esau had his own problems. But he flees. But now we see here, after 20 years, the Lord apparently has been working in Jacob's heart, but also Esau's heart. How does he respond? He responds as a loving brother. He runs to meet and to kiss Jacob, we see in verse 33, 4, which says, But Esau ran to meet him and embraced him and fell on his neck and kissed him, and they wept. For this reunion, Esau runs to meet him. What does Jacob do? He limps. God had left a mark on him to remind him of his encounter with the Lord. But the two are finally meeting. And God's work of reconciliation is at work. But there is also a difference in this relationship. Unlike Jacob, who acknowledged what God had done, Esau did not acknowledge the goodness of the Lord. Because in verse 9, again, as Esau um, is being asked to take these things, he says, I have enough for myself. I don't need what you offer to me. But he does not give the glory or thanksgiving to the Lord, which Jacob does twice uh, in this. Now we have the reconciliation. Again, it was the answer to prayer we saw in verses uh, 9 through 12 of, of chapter 32. And he is praying because he's terrified. He is afraid because he knows, at least 20 years ago, his brother wanted to kill him. And so he again relies on God's promises and he prays for deliverance. And he acknowledges God's grace. Even though we face difficult situations and we see God's presence here, God's presence does not minimize difficult situations. A lot of people say, come to the Lord and all your problems will go away. Is that true? But as we face difficulties, as Jacob even faced the possibility of death, the Lord was with him through all his troubles. And no matter what we go through, the Lord is with his children. If we have faith in Christ, we are part of the family of God. And we can have confidence that God knows what he is doing. And ultimately, we will be with him. So he acknowledges God's grace. 
And his gift to, to Esau is restitution. He calls it a blessing in chapter in, uh, 3311. He's giving back the temporal blessings of what he had stolen when he stole the birthright. We see that Esau accepts it and the reconciliation is sealed. And you see again God's role in working reconciliation with both Laban, who was a lousy guy himself, who cheated Jacob himself, who was very upset when Jacob fled, but the Lord was involved as well. The Lord appeared to Jacob in a dream. The Lord appeared to Laban in a dream and said, watch your words as you speak to my servant Jacob. And then in 32.1, two messengers, two angels, they also appear to Jacob to encourage him as he's preparing for this uh, reconciliation. But also he has that encounter where he wrestles the Lord. And so the Lord's preparing uh, him for his encounters with both uh, Laban uh, and Esau. So then, what is the application here? How can we apply this to us? Is there someone that you need to be reconciled to? A family member? A friend? An enemy? What is reconciliation? The dictionary defines it this way, to restore to friendship or harmony. Now, in the Reformation Study Bible, the note on 2 Corinthians 5.20, and again, uh, 2 Corinthians 5, the latter part, is a great section on reconcilia reconciliation. says this, Reconciliation is the establishment or restoration of loving fellowship after estrangement. Are you in need of reconciliation with somebody else? But what about God? Do you need to be reconciled to God? Are you reconciled to God? Or are you like me when I was in high school thinking, I go to church every Sunday. I'm basically a good person. I don't really get into a whole lot of trouble. Surely God's going to accept me. He's got to grade on the curve. I later realized as the Lord opened up my eyes that that was not the case. Just because I got good grades, just because I stayed out of trouble, just because I was an athlete, just because I was going to the Naval Academy, that didn't matter at all because of my sin. What keeps us from being reconciled to God is our sin. And we are all sinners. We are enemies of God because of our sin. We cannot have peace with God or with others because of our sin. And peace with God is obtained by faith in Christ. Again, Paul talks about this in Romans 5. And I'll quote it from uh, verses uh, 1 and 2. Uh, Paul writes, Therefore, since we've been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. Through him we've obtained access by faith into this grace in which we stand and we rejoice in the hope of the glory of God. Now, if you've been offended, you may say, the other person needs to take the initiative. Or if you are the offender, you need to take the initiative because God took the initiative with us even though he was the offended party. Again, in Christ, he reconciled us to him. Paul continues in verses 8 through 11 where he says, but God shows his love for us and that while we are yet sinners, Christ died for us. Since therefore we have been justified by his blood, much more shall we be saved by him from the wrath of God. For if while we are enemies, we are reconciled to God by the death of his son. 
Much more now that we are reconciled, shall we be saved by his life. More than that, we also rejoice in God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom we now have received reconciliation. And as Christians, reconciliation to God is renewed daily through confession. Lord's Prayer, uh, where, uh, again, it talks about forgive us our debts as we have forgiven our debtors. And 1 John 1, 9, for confess our sins, he is what? Faithful and righteous to what? Forgive us our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. We can't truly be reconciled to others without being reconciled to God. Um, now, where do we begin to be reconciled with others? Like Jacob, we pray to the Lord. We go to him in our petitions. We go to him as we confess our sin. We go to him as we pray that the Lord would work on other people's hearts as well as our own heart, as he worked on Jacob's heart, as he worked on, on Esau's heart. We pray. Now, if you're the offender, you need to take the initiative. Again, Jesus tells us in Matthew 18, or Matthew 5, 23 through uh, 24, where he says this, So if you're offering your gift at the altar, and they'll remember that your brother has something against you, leave your gift at the altar and go. First be reconciled to your brother, and then come and offer your gift. But you may say, wait, I am the offended party. He or she must come to me. What does Jesus say? What did Jesus and God do in Romans 5? And Jesus, in Matthew 18, 15, says this, If your brother sins against you, go tell him his fault between you and him alone. If he listens to you, you have gained your brother or sister. Again, this is talking about believers at this particular point. We follow the example of God and Christ. We take the initiative to be reconciled. And whether the offender or the offended, we should take the initiative to be reconciled. And we also have a ministry of reconciliation that Paul talks about in 2 Corinthians 5, verses 18 through 20. I'm going to pass over the friendly parting because they did part as friends. Uh, Esau says, come with me to, uh, to Seir, which is where he was living. Jacob says, I can't come right away. I'll go later. But he doesn't go. He goes to Succoth. One of the reasons is because even though there's no deception on his part, Seir was not in the promised land. And Jacob had to obey to the Lord. So as we close, a couple different further takeaways. And again, I found this with Bruce Walke and his, um, and his commentary. First of all, we see that God developed Jacob's faith to prepare him for his encounter. He is also at work in our lives. And it's much easier if we are obedient, if we soften our hearts instead of a hardened heart that God's going to have to deal with but he can also be at work in our lives. Forgiveness. Jacob links Esau's forgiveness and sparing his life with God sparing his own life. Likewise, God graciously forgives us and receives the elect because of Christ's gift of himself for our sins. There needs to be forgiveness in part of this whole idea of reconciliation and restoration. Thankfulness. Jacob credits the Lord with what he has done in his life. Are we thankful for what God has done? Don't be like Esau. Esau had been given great blessings, yet he did not acknowledge God in all of this. Submission. And Walkie writes this. 
only in giving up his rights does Jacob fully become the family leader. Christ also humbly gave up his rights to be equal with God to reconcile the world to himself. So as we think through reconciliation, we have the example from this confrontation, but we also have the example of our Lord and Jesus Christ, of how he took the initiative to reconcile us to himself. So I pray this morning that you would examine your own life. Do you know the Lord? If not, come to him in faith. If you have questions how you might do that, talk with your pastor or talk with one of your elders. Pray to the Lord. Ask the Lord to work in your heart and those that you need to be reconciled. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you that you are indeed a God of reconciliation. We thank you, Lord, for what you've done in our own lives and what you did through Jesus Christ for those who know you as Savior. We pray, Lord, that you'd be honored and glorified in our lives, that other people would see you in us. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.